The following is a high five moment from highfivecasino.com. Welcome to Burger Yippee. Would you like a hot apple pie today? Yes, yes, yeah, I won. Woohoo! So that's a yes on the apple pie? I just went big time playing high five casino on my phone. Real cash prizes, free daily rewards, over 1,200 games. Yeah. So yes or no on the apple pie? Woo! I won again. I'll take that as a yes. Drive around. Have you had your high five moment today? Only at highfivecasino.com. High five casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. Play responsibly. Conditions apply. See website for details. High five casino. What if AI could help your business deliver mission-critical outcomes with speed? With IBM Consulting, your business can design, build, and scale trusted AI using Watson X and modernize the way you work to accelerate real impact. Let's create AI that transforms your business. Learn more at ibm.com consulting. IBM. Let's create. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret's just-arrived collection of swim and other sun-ready silhouettes. Pack your bags with new styles from the Very Sexy collection, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy push-up bra in on-trend hues like green, citron, and black shine. Rewind to the future with the VS Archive Swim Collection, inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. Plus, mix and match with their wide range of bikini tops and bottoms to find your dream suit. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. This is Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing from iHeartRadio. Longtime Hollywood private eye and his term problem solver, Anthony Pelicano lives by a unique code of honor, a code that has caused him a tremendous amount of suffering and loss. In 2019, Pelicano was released from prison after serving a 15-year sentence for wiretapping, conspiracy, racketeering, and wire fraud. He could have leveraged some of the dirt he had on his famous clients in exchange for a shorter sentence, but that simply wasn't an option for the Chicago-raised and proudly Sicilian Anthony Pelicano. In the early days, I was very successful at locating missing people. So my career started out really with that and audio surveillance countermeasures, which is, you know, debugging and anti-wiretapping. I've got articles about me in TV shows that I did back in the 70s, you know, early 70s. Was that Chicago? Mm-hmm. That was in Chicago. Yeah, I did a lot of shows, a lot of talk shows. I moved to California in 1982. First case I had was the DeLorean case. Who contacted you about that? Actually, John DeLorean did. I just had moved out there, and my office called me and told me that he wanted to talk to me. And I told them that I was in California. They said, well, he's in California. I said, well, fancy that. Anyway, so all my clothes and my uh, you know, furniture and all that were on the way out there to be moved in. So I went out and bought a suit and then went down to a law firm where there's a bunch of guys sitting around a table talking about FBI conspiracies, you know, British intelligence conspiracy and all that bullshit. And so here's this, you know, little Sicilian kid from Chicago sitting at a table and telling them that they're all full of shit. And I told him that DeLorean conned the government, the government conned DeLorean, and the informant conned both of them. So it came to pass that that's exactly what, what was true, and, you know, we won. When people wanted to contact you, how did they contact you? Well, there, there were two methods, you know, either word or mouth, which, you know, after DeLorean, I, I was a hot ticket. 
or through attorneys, through agents, through you know personal managers, etc. Once I got known, then it just spiraled up. You had an office. Yeah, sure. I had a huge office at 9200 Sunset. I had that office for almost 30 years. The Luckman Building. Yeah, you remember, huh? Yeah. I was told that I was the only guy in the building that paid the rent on the first of the month every month. (laughs) (laughs) So I got a big kick out of that. When people would contact you, I wonder sometimes, like, at what point did you begin to feel... Because I do believe from the research I've done, you're obviously a very smart guy. You're a very tough guy. You're a guy with a lot of principles. You you went through hell because of your principles. I mean, you really, really tortured yourself as a, in service of your principles. And I really believe that. Well, see, to me, the most important thing in my life was honor and my word. It still is till today because they took everything away and that's what I've got left. And that's all that really I really cherish. When I had a client, you know, and I wanted to work for them, they became like a member of my family. And nobody fucks with my family. Right. If someone is reaching out to someone in that profession, and what they're asking them to do is, if not illegal, it's dicey. It's illicit in some way. Well, let me me stop you right there, because I was a private investigator, but I was really a problem solver. And I used investigation as a tool. So when somebody came to me, they came to me with a problem. You know, and the first thing I did, like I do always, I have to define the problem in order to solve it. And I never told anybody what I was doing. I never told attorneys what I was doing. I never told clients what I was doing. I never even told my staff. You know, I assigned people to different tasks and nobody knew whatever the the next guy was doing. You sound like a florist. People say, I want some flowers. You deliver the flowers. Don't ask any questions. This is, this is a, this is, (laughs) goes back to my, you know, to my early days where, you know, that type of attitude was the attitude I wanted to keep. What happened in the early days that shaped that attitude? Well, I mean, I'm Sicilian. And all of the attitudes that I attained, I guess, or, or used and cherished came from that life. And I still have that attitude. This is an attitude that you develop when you're very young. As a matter of fact, I was asked to and have written a novel which uh, will come out sometime, uh, I guess, in May. And it's called The Neighborhood. And it, it outlines, you know, the way life was for me then. This is a novel. It's not a, you know, a biographical thing in any stretch of the imagination. But it laid it out. And so you, you develop by association with people attitudes. And one of those attitudes was, you know, the attitude of keeping to yourself. You know, Sub Rosa, everything is within you. You know, there's an opera called uh, Turandro, and he sings, My Mystery Lies Within Me. So that attitude kept with me. I, I never, never forgot that, and I never forgot that attitude. What did your dad do? My dad, he was a truck driver. He was a dock foreman. He was, a, a, you know, a salesman in the, in the trucking business. And your mom, she was a housewife or she worked too? Well, she worked too. She worked uh, for Airline Pilots Association for many years. But, uh, you know, my mom and dad were divorced when I was young, so I saw very little of my father growing up. You did? Yeah. What were you looking for? I mean, I know that when my dad died, he died right around the time that I started working in Los Angeles, I mean, working on a more serious level. I wound up seeking men to replace my father. 
I needed mentoring. I needed advice. This was a critical time in my life where the decisions I was making, I could go this way or that way. And my dad died. He was only 55. He had cancer in 1983, right when I went to L.A., right when I'm surrounded by people who are, and I don't need to tell you, Hollywood is the Harvard of bullshit. I mean, there's more people full of shit out there than you could possibly imagine. Listen, it took me an entire year to get used to that. I was used to people saying, you know, giving you their word and keeping it. I was used to people telling you the truth. I, I, it took me a year to get used to Hollywood. And it was a tough year because of the attitude that I had when I came across bullshit. You know, I reacted immediately and I got a lot of people's attention because of that. And that's why I, I think I retain, attained the respect that I got because I was a no bullshit guy. I was straight, right in your face, straight. And having to deal with it, as you had to deal with it, was cumbersome. The old man told me, he says, you got to be uh, more careful. I says, listen, the sharks that we have in Chicago don't compare it to the sharks that are in Hollywood. Right. You understand what I mean? Well, I would say to people that if you want to make money and you want to make real money, go to Wall Street. If you want to spend a lot of time with beautiful women, go into the magazine business and the modeling business. I said, if you want to have power over people's lives, go to Washington. Money, sex, power. But if you want the cocktail of all three, money, sex, and power, that's Hollywood. Without any question. And I would go out there, and the mistake I made was I didn't realize that people will befriend you while you're working together, and the moment what you're doing stops working, the friendship is over. Well, you, you know, friendship, you, you can't even equate people in Hollywood with friendship. I mean, the guy that I'm closest to in the world is Ron Meyer. He's like my brother. I, I mean, he took care of me the whole time I was in prison. Never stopped. Came God. to see me. You know, he, he was a stand-up, no-bullshit man. He's a rare breed. Yeah, yeah. But getting back to father figures, I had lots of fathers. You understand? Because that's the way the family runs. You had bosses and you had this and that. But, you know, these were guys that I, you know, I looked up to and respected. And I respected that attitude, and I continued that attitude throughout my entire life. So going to prison, keeping my mouth shut was a no-brainer for me. At some point in your life, you pick up a passion for, if not an obsession for, gadgets and technology. When does that start for you? Well, when I went into the Army, I found out at that time that I had a high IQ. And they sat me down and they asked me what, did I, want, what I wanted to do. Well, I'm a street kid. All I know is the street, right? And I looked around and I saw a, a, a magazine that said electronics. So I said electronics, not knowing a thing about it. <laughs> and go in and they may make me a cryptographer. Where were you stationed? Well, schooling in Fort Gordon, Georgia, but then I was stationed in France. And I avoided the Vietnam War because of that. While in the Army, I learned a lot about electronics. And I learned a lot about cryptography, obviously. And when I came out... I started getting heavily involved in, you know, audio surveillance. So when, when people ask me about wiretapping, you know, I've been wiretapping since 1965. Never stopped. And the interesting thing about that is the person that I learned about a particular recording device was Lyndon Johnson. Now, Lyndon Johnson was the person who put the Sony 800B recorders in the White House, not Nixon. So a Sony 800B recorder had a remote jack. So 
if you want to record telephone conversations, and at that time it was real to real, as you can imagine, what I did is I devised a device that when the phone was on hook, you had a certain voltage, and when it's off hook, the voltage drops, and it turned the recorder on. And every time they hung up, it would shut off. So let's go way, way back. One thing I'll say about Hollywood movie making that's one of the benefits of it is you can, at times, get access to things you never imagined. And I wanted to talk to guys who were part of the joint New York State FBI Organized Crime Task Force. Mm -hmm. And we wound up going to a really nondescript block on like 32nd Street and 9th Avenue. You're in the middle of nowhere. Mm -hmm. Everything's closed. The deli's closed. The coffee shop's closed. Everybody, it's all work. Now it's 8 o'clock at night, and I walk in, and I go into the room, and everything's been set up by the studio. And I go in, and these guys are there, and it's an FBI wiretap nest. And they had the equipment there, and up above was a sign and it would say, diminish four, and then it would list husband, wife, parishioner, clergy, uh, lawyer, client, doctor, patient. It would tell them when they had to turn down the volume and not record that conversation. Yeah, but they, they didn't quite do that, did they? Well, no, I don't know that. I'll, I'll leave okay. that to you. But my point is, <laughs> this is back in 19, mid-90s. You'd hear this weird sound. You'd hear, like a big one, which was the guy picking up his phone, and it's a dial tone. And you'd hear, mm. boop, 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 mm. boop, boop, boop. Then you hear, burp, mm. burp. And then they record, and now everything's recording. The equipment's recording, and reel right. to reel. And then you hear the guy go, Frank, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. Hey, Tommy, how you doing, Tommy? Uh, I went out to Staten Island and talked to Joey about that thing. What'd he say? Uh, that thing's all taken care of. What about that other thing? What thing? The thing with Ray. You know, and everything was that thing, that thing, that, that thing, nobody that thing, said yeah. nothing. And I thought, oh my God, I couldn't believe that this is the feds wiretapping these guys, these mob guys' houses. Well, there was a law passed where they had to minimize. They would have to record for a certain length of time and then shut it off, and, and you know, if they weren't talking about something, you know, interesting. But they never did that. But I'm the guy who coined the term forensic audio, and I devised, you know, programs to analyze tape recordings. I did the 18-minute the gap. I did the Shaw Veron tape. Was it easier then when you started, or did it become gradually easier or harder to do this kind of work technologically in the old days of the old phone company? If you're talking about debugging and wiretapping and all that stuff. Explain to my audience what the difference is. Okay. A wiretap is recording both sides of a telephone conversation. And a bug is usually involved in a rumor and enclosure. In other words, you know, you, because smart guys didn't really use the phone to communicate certain things. They would talk, you know, in their home in a certain room. You know, when, when people asked me to come and debug their homes, and I had an elaborate amount of equipment to do it, and I found lots of wiretapped and bugging devices. But I would tell them, if you really want to keep a secret, you go out to the golf course, and you whisper in each other's ear, and you say nothing. <laughs> okay? <laughs> you want to really keep... You know, what is it, Benjamin Franklin that says the only two people that can keep a secret, you know, in a three-person situation is if two of them are dead? Well, one time I went to uh, Barrett Jackson, the vintage car auctioneer. We were shooting a film in Phoenix, mm -hmm. and we went to the legendary Barrett Jackson, and they showed us... 
pictures of, I don't think we saw the actual car, that Howard Hughes had commissioned where he did an array of batteries in the back of this Buick or whatever he had. He wanted to be able to drive into the desert in Las Vegas and have meetings. And he wanted to have the air conditioning on, but the car turned off. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to be able to speak with no potential for being bugged or eavesdropped. Mm-hmm. But if somebody really wanted to... <laughs> you would have figured it out. But by then, Hughes question. would have hired you already, and you'd be in his pocket. You'd be on his staff. Oh, I've been involved in many of those adventures. Yes. Now, but, but let me ask you, so wiretapping or bugging, was it easier then when there was a simple bell system in the old phone company? What's harder, then or now? Well, let me put it to you this way. When you turn on a recorder, and let's say you have on the tape, you can listen for an hour, okay? You're going to record an hour. That means you have to listen through that hour, okay? So it was harder back then because in order to gather the information that you needed, you had to listen to everything. So I devised a device and, you know, computer program where I could selectively record. In other words, when you dialed your mother, I didn't listen. When you dialed Domino's Pizza, I didn't listen because I programmed all those telephone numbers in there. So if you dial those numbers, it wouldn't record. So it's a matter of efficiency, common sense, and logic right. to determine what you want to do. I was 10 times better than what the FBI had. I, you know, uh, and it was all encrypted, by the way. So if somebody were to get the recordings, they couldn't listen to them anyhow. Only I could listen to them. I would imagine that with the work you were doing, you had people come into your life, and there's a legitimate need for private investigation. There are things that people are stealing from people. There are things people are cheating on them. Marriages, you take a vow, you this. There's information that people are entitled to, and they have to take certain steps to get that information. And all of that is legitimate and understandable. At the same time, the relationship we might have had ends when the work is over. Did people kind of distance themselves with you when the dirty work, as far as they were concerned, was done? Were there some people that treated you that way? Or were there other people who actually were gentlemanly in an ongoing way? I I made a lot of friends, but let me just say one thing to you, which is an adage that I use all the time. People love you when they need you. (laughs) Does that say it all for you? That that, that does say it all. That does say it all. Sure. Hollywood fixer, Anthony Pelicano. I've talked to some pretty tough characters, from Jimmy Kahn to Elaine Stritch and Joe D'Alessandro who went from juvenile delinquent to sex symbol and talked about the first time he met the man who made him famous, Andy Warhol. I never thought about it, about the modeling thing. I had a couple of friends in New York that introduced me to other people. And and then one day, one of these friends uh, said, hey, I know this person that's... uh, making these Campbell's soup can, you know, makes the Campbell's soup. And I was thinking we were going to eat some soup, which I was all for. Hear more of my conversation with Joe D'Alessandro at heresthething.org. After the break, Anthony Pelicano explains why he represented himself in court when he was so well-connected to some of Hollywood's most powerful lawyers. The following is a high-five moment from HighFiveCasino.com. I won! Yahoo! 
Private, put down your phone. This is the army. Sarge, High Five Casino is a social casino. It's on your phone. goes wherever you go. I win free spins, cash, prizes, free daily rewards, over 1,200 games. I won again. Platoon, present cell phone. High Five. High Five. Casino. Casino. Win at HighFiveCasino.com. High Five Casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited. Play responsibly. Conditions apply. See website for details. High Five Casino. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Diamonds Direct has done it again. This month only, get ready for an offer you can't resist. Buy a natural diamond engagement ring of one carat plus and receive a free natural one carat diamond tennis bracelet valued at $2,000. That's right, a stunning diamond tennis bracelet at no extra cost. Imagine giving her the ring of her dreams and her wedding gift all at once. So hurry into Diamonds Direct. Your chance to get a free tennis bracelet will not last long. Details at DiamondsDirect.com. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. In 2002, following up on a tip, federal agents raided Anthony Pelicano's office on Sunset Boulevard and found explosives in his safe. For such a careful guy, it seemed like an uncharacteristic misstep. Well, there wasn't any lapse in judgment. The C4 and the grenades that I found were not mine. I tried to get rid of them. I'm not going to mention who they belonged to but I put them in, a, in my evidence safe. They were in an evidence safe in my laboratory, in my forensic laboratory. Now, I didn't know that 30 FBI agents were to come that day and with a search warrant and find them. So it just was a, a matter of uh, time and circumstance and bad luck. When they went and searched the vault or whatever it was, the safe, and got the C4 and the grenades. Well, they, they had an array, I had an array of safes in my office and right. you know I was commanded to open them up. Otherwise, they were going to take them out and, and drill the locks. So I just opened them all up. And what did they find in there other than the C4 and the grenades? Lots of things. Right. That contributed to the case that took you down? No, not really. There's only one thing in, the, in, the, in there that was a, a recording. Right. Uh, that was it. And that, that was because the client wanted me to memorialize a particular recording, which I never did, by the way. And I had it on a CD, and he, he wanted to keep that for whatever purposes. And I had it locked in my safe. But no, I, I mean, the actual search warrant entitled the government to do just about anything, which they're always entitled to do just about anything. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're fighting uh, the federal government, you're not going to win. Right. You are just not yeah, going they're, to win. They're the litigant with the deepest pockets. It's not their well, money. It's not, it's not only that, but they have immense power. And people don't realize this. They don't know, you know, people don't realize the immense power that the United States government has. Mm -hmm. They can do just about anything they want 
and get away with just about anything they want. I mean, there was a lot of things that they did that they didn't have the power to do, and they did it anyhow. I remember a famous actress, and she was divorcing her famous husband. And she joked and said that when her friends would call, let's say her famous husband's name was Bob. And she said to me that she used to joke that when her friends would call, she would say, she'd say, say hi to Bob. And they go, what? Because he knew that she knew she was divorcing Bob. Mm-hmm. And she'd say, well, he's listening in right now. He, they're, they're tapping my phone. So say hi to Bob. Uh-huh. And they'd all laugh and joke. And she, she was like right out there that this whole thing was going on. Well, a lot of people imagine it too, you know. They assume. The ratio from actual wiretapping to truth is probably 99 to 1. You know, when you get these phone calls from people who say, you know, I think my phones are being tapped, I tell them the same thing. I can come out there with an array of equipment, I can find it, and the next morning they can reinstall it. So, you know, anybody is susceptible to anything under the right circumstances. Is everything wireless now? Can someone sit in a car out in front of your house and listen to everything you say on the phone? Oh, do we can be able to do that back in the 60s. Really? Yeah, sure. Oh, my God. Well, if you use your imagination, you know, anything is possible. And, and today, with technology as it is today, oh, my God, you can do just about anything you want. Anything you want. So you go on trial and you get sentenced to go to prison the first round, and then we're going to talk about how you get to the end of that line, and then they dump this whole other thing on you for this ungodly amount of time. When you are in prison the first time, what were you convicted of? Well, that was for the C4 and the grenades. Right, and, so you, and that was, sentence was how long? Well, that was for three years. And you wound up serving how long? Well, I finished that sentence and walked out the door, and there were two marshals who brought me back downtown, and then I was indicted or the racketeering and everything else. And so when that happened, do you think that these were people who did this just to fuck with you because you wouldn't cooperate with them? Were they out to get you? Without any question, because they came to me with all kinds of deals. And I, you know, I wouldn't talk about my clients or lawyers or judges or senators or presidential candidates or any of the other people that I represented, nor would I talk about Chicago. So... They wanted me to cooperate, and I wouldn't. I'll give you a, one story. I'm sitting in prison, and they come and grab me, and they lock me in a caged room, and they tell me that I have visitors. And I thought, my family's here? Why am I here? And he says, no, uh, it took them, you know, an hour and a half to get here. I says, well, if it's who I think it is, then tell them that now they know how long it's going to take them to get back. And I wouldn't talk. So, <laughs> and they were pissed about that, obviously. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, no, they, they tried all kinds of machinations to get me to talk, but I never would. They sentenced you to how long? Well, I, I, I did a, essentially 17 years altogether, so. I did a film once, again, in terms of this motion picture access thing. I went to what was then Rahway State Penitentiary. The guy that was the director of communications escorted me through minimum security with some officers. We had bodyguards. Mm -hmm. And my goal was to interview people in minimum security. They had a maximum security block in the distance. When you say minimum, you're talking about a camp. Yeah, I'm sure you can call it that. It was one of the most mesmerizing and eye-opening experiences of my lifetime. And the stories I heard and the things I learned, it was um, one of the guys that was one of the head of the guards. He said to me, everybody says they're innocent. 
They all say they're innocent. He goes, but you can tell the ones that really are innocent. I said, how? He said, the ones, most of them complain that they're innocent. He goes, but after about a couple of months, they settle in because they know they belong here because they know they did it. Mm-hmm. He said, the ones who are truly innocent, he says, they never adjust, never. They never accept it one day. They're bitter and miserable. Well, I don't, I don't know that I would agree with that because everybody was bitter and miserable. You know, I was guilty. Right. You know, I, I served my time. I was guilty. They convicted me and I was guilty. So, but I, you don't, you know, if you're a man, you don't sit and cry about it. You do your time. What you do in time, you're sitting. Now, you might go through a lot of problems and pain while you're in prison, but that's what you're essentially doing. You've given up time of your life. That's what you lose. You lose that time. That time is never recoverable. But, you know, I can tell you that based on my experience, I only met one innocent person the entire time I was in prison. How did you know he was innocent? Uh, because the guy that actually committed the crime confessed that they let him out. Oh, they did. Otherwise, I wouldn't know. And by the way, you know, when I, I, I was antisocial in prison. I didn't join gangs. I was my own guy. Were you asked to? Oh, God, yeah, sure. But, you know, I, 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 I simply claim I'm Sicilian and I deal with Sicilians. So, you know, go away. And when you were in prison, did you have friends and family on the inside? Well, there's, there's a lot of people that I knew that were in, but, you know, if somebody wants to hurt you, they're going to hurt you. Right. And I went through a lot of occasions where I could have been hurt seriously. But, you know, it's just the way it is. And you have to live with that. And you learn to live with that. And you learn to get into what I would call a mindset where this is where you are and this is where you're going to stay for a period of time. Did they offer you opportunities to talk and you could have gotten out? Oh, yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have done a day if I would have talked. But what I'm asking is, beyond the sentencing, is it an ongoing offer? Well, they tried a couple times, yes, but that didn't work. None of that worked with me. You know, I was essentially, a, a, you know, a closed mouth, you know, which you couldn't pry open. And they learned that. And I continued that. And I'm still that guy today. I'm the same man that went in. I haven't changed. My attitudes, my honor, my word, and all of that is still the same. So, you know, you've got to be stand-up or you're not. You're going to be honorable or you're not. That's not a thing that you could learn. You're born with that. Yeah, right. I mean, there's lots of things in prison that will make you, you know, will give you pause. But that's just the way it is. And by the way, <laughs> I came across more, you know, circumstances while I was free that were more dangerous than when I was in prison. So, you know, I call it time and circumstance. Why did you represent yourself in court? You knew some pretty powerful lawyers, and you had worked for some pretty powerful lawyers. What happened to them? Yeah, but nobody knew more about me than me, and I wasn't going to talk, and I wasn't going to interrogate my own clients. I told everybody to tell the truth. And that's what I wanted everybody to do. There's no sense in people going to prison with me. I said everybody, including my employees, you know, they gave a bunch of people immunity anyhow. But I told everybody to tell the truth. Why do you have to suffer because I'm going to suffer? I'm not, I'm not that kind of guy. And I, and I wouldn't testify against somebody else to save myself. But did you also think that a lawyer would try to get you to cut a deal? Like, did you say to yourself, why waste time? Because any lawyer is going to say, cut the deal. Well... I'm going to be frank with you. I don't know anybody smart enough to handle that case. And 
what I did is I went through the machinations. I, I did sub-cross examinations, and I saved clients by asking them questions that would exonerate them. <laughs> you know, so I did that. I, I still was the loyal guy that I always had been, even though I was in trial. And I knew it wasn't going to win. There was no way of winning. Did I know that the judge was going to slam me? No. I thought that I was going to do about five years. I never thought that I would get the kind of time I did. But I realized when the, the prosecutors told me that they were going to very aggressively sentence me, you know. And I just looked at them and do, I said, do the fuck what you want to do. You're not going to hurt me. I'm going to do whatever time the judge gives me, and that's going to be it. But getting back to being represented, what could a lawyer do that could help me? Nothing. What could I do for myself? I could be myself and help me. So, no, I mean, there was a lot of, a ton of lawyers that wanted to represent me for the publicity alone. You got out of prison when? Oh, I got out of prison my 75th birthday, March 22nd, 2019. Right. So it was pre-pandemic. Yeah. Although in 2017, we had an outbreak of the flu that was awful. As a matter of fact, I don't know how to say this without sounding glib, but it was worse than what it is here. I had a, a fever for two days, 102 fever for two days, and had that flu for six weeks. So it was pretty awful. And everybody on the tier who gets the flu, I mean, someone on the tier gets the flu, everybody on the tier gets the flu. There's no escaping anything right. when you're locked it's an in incubator. a cage. Yeah. You're in a cage, and there's no way escaping it. you got the very poor circulation, ventilation, etc. So you're going to get it. So you just get it and you just bear through it. And in prison, they don't give you any medication. You know, they tell you to drink lots of water. I don't know if you ever heard that growing up when you have the flu, drink lots of water. That's sure. what they tell you. That's it. They don't give you a Tylenol. Now, I would imagine that there are people who erroneously compare the pandemic to being locked down. That's kind of silly. They'll sit there and say, hey, you get out of prison, and now we're in a pandemic and everybody's locked down again, but I'm sure like, they don't know what lockdown is until you go to prison. No fucking way. <laughs> no. Exactly. I was in a hole for two of the years that I was in prison. Why? Well, but that's, that's the reason. You know, that, you know, that's serious time when you're locked in a room with a little porthole and nobody comes to the door except to feed you. So, yeah. I would imagine another thing is that when you're in prison, this is what occurred to me. This may sound trite. I mean, there's a lot of horrible things about prison. I have always had, I've always maintained this fascination. Someone said to me, if you had your life to do over again, what are some of the other careers? There's a little bit of a bouquet here of careers. I might have psychiatrists. I find that very fascinating. Uh, and one of them is to be in penology, to be the warden of a prison. Oh, you don't want to do that. Well, what I wanted to explore was this idea that when I did the Rahway thing, again, cause, which was so informative, you know, one guy says to me, I'm with a white guy that looks like Gene Hackman. Mm -hmm. I said, what did you do? He said, I was, he said, I was a stick-up man. Mm -hmm. I said, what was the game? He said, one rule was always have your gun with you. Never be with you. The biggest crime was to not have your gun. I said, why? He goes, because if I go to the gas station and the little old lady's there by the counter and she has 900 bucks in the register and I don't have my gun, that cost me 900 bucks. He said, always have your gun with you. Another guy said to me, when you get, this was my favorite one. He, I go, what's the first thing you do when you get out of prison? He says, you get a girlfriend. 
And there was a pause, like, oh, of course I get that. He goes, no, no, not for that. He said, you need to have someone to funnel all your paperwork through. I can't get a lease. I can't get a bank account. I can't get a, a, a phone turned on. You got to get a girlfriend who can, you can get everything turned on for you. So you can kind of funnel all your administrative stuff through. But my point is, is that I was kind of shattered by the idea that one guy said to me, he goes, you go into prison. He said, you're in prison for a month, two months, three months. You're sorry. If it's a nonviolent crime, you didn't murder somebody. He goes, you're in prison four months, five months, six months. You're really sorry. He said, you're in prison for nine months. He said, you're so fucking sorry. He goes, you keep me there one day more than a year. He goes, I ain't sorry anymore. Fuck you that you made me stay in here all this time for something minor, like drugs or what have you. My attitude was just the opposite. I knew I was going to be in prison for a long time, and I just settled in. What I wanted to do was keep my mind active. My mind was my most valuable possession. How did you do that? Oh, I did all kinds of things. I read like 2,000 books while I was in prison. I wrote. I did uh, lots of high-level geometry. That took like five hours a day. One problem took me nine days to figure out. And when the lights go out, I developed a technique, and I call them, you know, memory movies. It took me seven years to do this, by the way, where I could selectively play back things in my life that made me happy and ignore the things that didn't make me happy. You play all kinds of games, mind games, you know, to keep yourself sane and to keep yourself active and keep your brain working because otherwise you stagnate. And if you're a guy that only wants to work out all day, that's all you're going to do. And at the end of your prison term, that's all you got in your pocket is that you worked out. You might have developed some muscles. You might have developed a more healthy diet. You understand? But that's all you got. And I, I refuse to walk out of prison, you know, dumber than I was when I came in. So I continue to educate myself. Former private investigator Anthony Pelicano. If you're enjoying this conversation, tell a friend and be sure to follow Here's the Thing on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. When we come back, Anthony Pelicano talks about finding ways to care for others while in prison. The following is a high five moment from highfivecasino.com. I won! Yahoo! Private, put down your phone. This is the army. Sarge, High Five Casino is a social casino. It's on your phone, goes wherever you go. I win free spins, cash, prizes, free daily rewards, over 1,200 games. I won again! Platoon, present cell phone. High Five! High Five! Casino! Casino! Win at highfivecasino.com! High Five Casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. Play responsibly. Conditions apply. See website for details. High Five Casino! This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. 
You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Diamonds Direct has done it again. This month only, get ready for an offer you can't resist. Buy a natural diamond engagement ring of one carat plus and receive a free natural one carat diamond tennis bracelet valued at $2,000. That's right, a stunning diamond tennis bracelet at no extra cost. Imagine giving her the ring of her dreams and her wedding gift all at once. So hurry into Diamonds Direct. Your chance to get a free tennis bracelet will not last long. Details at DiamondsDirect.com. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. Anthony Pelicano refused to talk when he was in prison, not just to the feds, but to other inmates as well. Well, I was in rooms by myself. I was in cells. I was for a lot of time. I was in a cage. Right. Okay. But there are times that you're in a you're in a you know a dormitory situation. Well, whether you're with a roommate, you know, two guys, four guys, a room full of people, I would imagine that for me, the temptation to pass time would be just to talk to people and shoot the shit. And did you find you were incapable of telling them about your life because of confidentiality? Well, listen, if you're, if you're going to ask me, did I talk about what I did? No. For a, a mere amount of reasons, because usually when people are asking you questions while you're in prison, is so that they can use that information to try to get a better deal for themselves or get out of jail. They're going to snitch. So you learn, you learn, you just tell nobody a fucking thing. Really? Yeah. But I had such respect when I was in prison because of my attitudes and because of who I was that I had many, many sons. I had many, many guys that I would mentor, many, many, you know, people that I would advise about cases. I got like six guys out of prison and that was pretty much because I was bored. I mean, i give you this one occasion. The white shot caller came to me and says, you know, I'd like you to help me. I said, I'm not interested. He says, well, could you, can I tell you about it? I said, no, I'm not interested. So he kept coming back to me and coming back to me. And one day he said the following words to me that changed my mind. He says, my mother and father have been calling my lawyer and, and he won't return their phone calls. So I says, well, they got to have try harder. And I walked away. He says, no, we tried. We've done this. I says, well, at the end of the day, what is your lawyer doing for you? And then he, he paused. And I said, wait a minute. When's the last time you saw your lawyer? He says, a year and a half ago. I says, excuse me? I told him, I said, you said your mother and father are calling your lawyer and he's not taking their calls or you're speaking to a receptionist. Yes. You bring me their telephone bills for three months, and you go downstairs and you ask for a list of all your phone calls, because you say you were calling too. Well, three months later, he got all of this accumulated. So I wrote a letter to the judge for him saying that he hasn't seen his lawyer. His lawyer has been inattentive. He won't answer his mother's phone calls. I write this nice letter to the judge. Two days later, he gets called before the judge, and a judge reams out the, his attorney and reams out the prosecutor. He says, young man, how long have you been you know, here at the MDC? He says, five years, Your Honor. He says, time served. Walk that kid out the door that day. Okay? 
But yeah, but that's you see that that all that took was logic and common sense. Right. Well, the, and also that you cared. He was lucky to meet you. You you cared in the way that you hoped your lawyer would care. You just said the magic four-letter word, care. Because people say they're going to do this prison reform, they're going to do all of these things. I said, it has to start with the four-letter word. Mm -hmm. Somebody has to care. Somebody has to go to somebody who goes to somebody who goes to somebody. And that whole line of people that you go through, they all have to care. If If somebody along that line doesn't care, you're dead. You're dead. You know, you can go all the you're way stuck. to your congressman, and if your congressman doesn't care, you're dead. That's amazing. That's amazing. I read somewhere that uh, you were approached about getting involved somehow in the Michael Jackson case. I represented Michael Jackson. You represented him. And what happened? What I do is when somebody is accused of something, and I didn't handle that many criminal cases, so you understand. I do just the opposite of what you would think. I try to prove they're guilty. I go out and do everything in my power to prove that they're guilty. If I can't, then the chances are that they're telling me the truth. But it came a point in time with Michael Jackson that I learned some things and and I quit. I fired him. It didn't add up. No, I learned the truth. So I I fired him. I understand. understand. And that was the end of that. And by the way, I got offered tons of money to tell that story and I have never. Well, I, I, I... You're the only person I know who, by closing his mouth and simply doing nothing and saying nothing, has cost yourself tens of millions of dollars. But anyway, plus years of your life. Um, You got out of prison in 2019, and of course, we're in the COVID now. Are you back to work? Are you back to work in your old career? My old career? I can't be a private investigator. You're not allowed to. You've been barred from doing that. But I still can do negotiations and troubleshooting, which is what I do. Consulting. I have a, a website that says Pelicano Negotiations, and that's what I do. And I think you might have read about my real, most recent uh, adventure with that. Uh, so, yeah. But to be honest with you, I have no desire in the world to be a private investigator again, ever. No desire whatsoever. And like I told you before, I use investigation as a tool to solve a problem. So let's say I need somebody to gather information for me, I could just hire them. But, but to the extent that you do sound, I mean, you, you clearly sound so strong, steely, competent, smart, mature, sober, you're all these things. Was there a little part of you that got a little high on the career you had? Did you get high on it a little bit? No, not you at didn't. all. Not at all? No, no. It was a job. No, and you were about to talk to say things that I wish that I've never done. No, but I didn't like everybody I worked for, I can tell you that. There had a lot of celebrities that I disdained. But, you know, the lawyers who hired me or the agents that hired me, I had to do the job. And by the way, that's the name of the game. You know, you come to me with a problem, I solve the problem, you pay me. And that's how I support my family. That's how I took care of them, and that was my livelihood. So that's why, you know. But, you know, there's nothing that I regret. There are things that I would have done differently. I wouldn't have given the degree of loyalty to certain people who didn't deserve it. But I'm that guy. I can't be anything different. To the day I die, I'm going to be that loyal guy. If I'm loyal to you, I'm going to remain loyal to you. Unless you do one thing, and that's the killer. Lie, 
once. You lie to me one time, you're dead. What's your bucket list now? You're out of prison after this ungodly length of time. What do you want to do with the time in your life now? I want peace. That's all I want is peace. I want to, you know, sur survive as long as I can survive. I want to have the relationship with my children. I want to have the relationship with the few friends that I have. And that's it. How were your children when you were in prison? What were they like when you were in prison? Oh, they, they were devastated. It was terrible for them, you know. And, you know, if you want to use the term regret, I'm sorry that they went through what they went through. But, you know, they, uh, I came, to, people, more people came to me and told me, talk. You know, Anthony, all you got to do is talk. And I'm not that guy. And I, you know, my children realize that. They realize that their father is an honorable guy and he's just not going to do it. They didn't like it. Nobody liked it. But that's what I am. And I'm going to remain that. What's the first thing you did when you got out of prison? What's the thing you said? You said, I got to go oh. do this. What'd you do? <laughs> go have a nice meal in a beautiful restaurant? Ronnie Meyer loves to tell this story. I'm out of prison. They take me to lunch. And then he takes me to an Italian restaurant. After eating gruel for all these years, right? I'm complaining about the food. He loves to tell this fucking story. I said, this is shit. Right. And he looks at me. You've been eating beans and rice for yeah. all these years, and you're complaining? I says, well, this, I'm Italian. I, I cook. This is shit. Well, I'm going to stay in touch with you. I'm coming out there in a few weeks. I'm going to look you up out there. All right, pal. And what I wanted to advance is one promise from you. You find the restaurant that you know you're not going to complain about because I want you to have a decent meal. If you complain about that fucking meal, I'm going to start crying. Okay, partner. Okay, deal. Anthony Pelicano's novel, The Neighborhood, is coming out later this spring. I'm Alec Baldwin, and this is Here's the Thing. We're produced by Kathleen Russo, Kerry Donahue, and Zach McNeese. Our engineer is Frank Imperial. Thanks for listening. The following is a high five moment from highfivecasino.com. I won! Yahoo! Private, put down your phone. This is the army. Sarge, high five casino is a social casino. It's on your phone, goes wherever you go. I win free spins, cash, prizes, free daily rewards, over 1,200 games. I won again! Platoon, present cell phone. High five, high five. Casino, casino. Win at highfivecasino.com. High five casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. Play responsibly. Conditions apply. See website for details. High five casino. Thinking of popping the question? Diamonds Direct has an offer you can't miss. This month only, buy a natural diamond engagement ring of 1 carat plus and receive a free natural 1 carat diamond tennis bracelet valued at $2,000. Imagine giving her the ring of her dreams and her wedding gift all at once. No one provides education, selection, and value like Diamonds Direct. Your chance to get a free tennis bracelet from your friends at Diamonds Direct won't last long. Details at DiamondsDirect.com. 
Your new home journey starts at Fisher Homes, where everything is red, white, and new. Explore exclusive summer savings and start your journey by selecting your ideal home site and your dream community. Choose from a variety of expertly designed floor plans and bring your style to life at the Lifestyle Design Center. Are you looking for a quick move-in ready home instead? Fisher Homes has options for those, too. Fill out a form to connect with a new home advisor at fisherhomes.com to get started today before the sun sets on summer savings. 